Amen. 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 Guys, this is this is what we this is what we come to Jesus for. Yes. Amen. This is week uh, number twenty-four. Thank you for this. Yeah, third chapter. The third chapter. Can you believe it? We made somebody say Amen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we finally turned the page. We can say Glory to God. Hallelujah. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. The rapture may happen in my lifetime. Amen. People often wonder, is the rapture going to come? Is Pastor Troy going to get finished with First John first? Amen. First <laughs> John 3, 1 through 3. Let me just read that real quick as we get started tonight. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Do you believe it? That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Folks, you know what? We've all, everything we've talked about over the last 23 weeks really leads up to this truth, to this promise that is just so enormous. I, I just think about that opportunity that we have and, you know, I don't want to be like the Hebrew says that, uh, you know, talks about the, the angels that rebel received a just recompense of reward. And how should we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? Do you remember when he came to you? Do you remember when he came to you? Do you remember where he found you? Do you remember the, the situation and the brokenness you were in? Now, now listen, I, I don't say that from someone that, 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 that doesn't have that. Some of you guys have a, a colorful, I'll just put it like that, a colorful testimony. God's delivered you out of drugs or false religion or whatever it may be. Uh, he, he just he just saved me from being lost, and he still saw fit for that. I didn't have to become a drug addict to get saved. I didn't have to become an alcoholic to get saved and find out that I needed one. I didn't have to become destitute on the streets to realize that in my flesh dwelt no good thing. I, I, I praise God that I didn't have to sink to those places that many people seek to. But in the, in, in the light of God's Word, in the light of God's presence, I knew that there was... There was something inside of me that needed a redeemer, that needed Jesus. And folks, that's what he said. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know, we don't love him first and that he loves us. It says we love him because he first loved us, that he demonstrated that great love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And folks, you know what? We weren't out. Many, Most of us weren't out. If you were, you're the exception to the rule out, you know, conjuring up spirits and, and worshiping them. We, we weren't there. But we were ungodly. We were apart from him. We were, we were at odds with the righteousness of God. We needed somebody to redeem us. And I think about everything that's, that's led us up to this place here in chapter 3, verse 1, coming to a place really that, 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 that we were qualified to become the sons of God. Now think about that. God brings us through all of these things to qualify us for him to look into our hearts and lives and qualify us to do the words of God. We, we've seen, that he's talked about, we've seen, we've heard, we've handled all of these things uh, personally. That's what John taught this church. He said, listen, guys, I'm not telling you something I can experience firsthand. Guys, I can tell you about salvation. You know why? Because I've seen salvation firsthand. I can tell you about redemption. I can tell you about forgiveness because I've seen it. I've handled it. I've touched it. How about you guys out there? I've seen about God uh, uh, healing broken hearts. Why? Because I've, I've been there. I've seen God heal broken hearts. I, I know those things firsthand. And so I don't have to get it secondhand or get it from a storybook or, or, or what some dead prophet wrote. Amen? Amen? Because God is revealing those things to each and every one of us from faith to faith. He, uh, we, we talk about those things that he did. You know, you know, I think about something. I met a man on the street the other day, and he said, there's just no way that you can really be sure that you know more about that than I do. That's what he said. He's, this guy said he was a, a deist or, or, or just acknowledged that there might be a God out there. But he looked at me and he said, I hear what you're saying. He said, but there's just no way that you can know more about and be more sure about what you know than I do. And I said, oh, yes, there is a way. <laughs> and I said, let me ask you about something. Do you know, you know a lady by the name of Melanie Bond? Well, I don't know Melanie Bond. And I said, well, let me tell you some stuff about her. I said, I can tell you stuff about her until the sun comes up on the street. And I said, you know what? I know a whole lot more about her than, I know, than you know about her. I said, the only thing that you know about her is her name. And I said, I know her favorite colors. I know her favorite food. I know what makes her laugh. 
I know it makes her cry. I know how she feels. I, I know by the look on her face exactly what she's going through. I said, you know why I know that? Because I've spent 27 years married to that woman. And three years prior to that, knowing her as well. So 30 years of my life have been devoted to a relationship with her that you don't have. All you know is her name. Just like all you know is the name of Jesus. You've heard it. You've heard people talk about it. And the reason that I know more about him than you, and I can be more sure about what he said than you know, is because for 30 years of my life, I've spent seeking him. I've spent serving him. I've spent knowing him. And I said, so what it is, is I've seen him. I've heard him. And I've handled him personally. And I said, what you're upset about is the fact that you don't have an intimate relationship with him. And so, yes, I do. Mm -hmm. You know what? I don't have to see him to know him. I don't even have to audibly hear him to know him. Because I have a relationship with Jesus that is so much deeper, so much more real, so much more intimate than what I can see and what I can hear. That's right. Because you know what? We see a lot of people. We hear a lot of people. And we don't have a relationship with them at all. But what about that one that said in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that your body is the temple, is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Folks, listen, I know. I know that I know that I know. Why? Because I've spent the time with him, seeking his face. John goes on to talk about it. He said, you know, the truth is that one can't claim to have a genuine relationship with Christ apart from actions that generally reflect the relationship that exhibits his character. Now, folks, that's what he said in 1 John 1 and 6 leading up to this. He's like, listen, if you say you have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, he said you're a liar. He didn't say you're good intentions, you're religious, you're, you're heading in the right direction. He just flat out said that you're a liar if you make claim to something, but the reflection of your life isn't such. He told us that the one, is, one, one of the really biggest obstacles is, is having that type of relationship to having that type of relationship is the adherence to a belief system that is more devoted to sin than it is to righteousness. Folks, you know what? That's a hindrance. Many people in the church today are more devoted to sin than they are to righteousness. Why do I say that? Well, you've heard it just like I have. People say, listen, I'm just a, a poor old sinner saved by grace. Folks, I got news for you. That's who I used to be. That's who I used to be. I used to be just a wretched, poor old sinner that couldn't help itself. But you know what? If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm not just a more improved version of the wretched person that I was. When Christ Jesus came into my life through the promise of John 3, 3, and said a man must be born again, you know what? He changed me lock, stock, and barrel. The only thing that looked the same was this ugly old face that I'm stuck with until I'm changed in a moment in a twinkling of eye. You know what? As long as I know my heart's been changed, I'm going to put up with this for whatever time being it is. But I'm not the same as I was. Why? Because my heart and my thoughts and my minds and my motivations are so much different than they were. And he told us another thing. He said the false teachers and false doctrines being allowed into the church without being aggressively confronted and corrected literally demonstrate a lack of true fidelity to the Word of God. And thus they eliminate our ability to walk in sonship responsibility. So we talked about that at length about this false doctrine that in the last days that Antichrist will surely come. But there are many Antichrists that have come. Folks, those things that I just mentioned are all those things that keep us from walking in really the revelation and the fulfillment of realizing what? What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. <laughs> so if you've got a struggle believing any of those things, you're going to have a struggle believing who your identity is in Christ Jesus. You know what, folks, what's going to happen to you is you're always going to be caught between, like he says, what's well, first Kings? He says, how long are you going to be halt? How, how long are you going to be caught between two opinions? Who are you going to serve? Who are you, who are you really? Because as long as I'm caught between two opinions, and I really don't know, and I've always struggled with those things, there's no way I'm going to walk in the manifestation of realizing who I am in Christ Jesus. Now, folks, I know who I am. I know whom I believe. I know why. Because I get to experience that on a daily basis. But the good news is that God is no respecter of persons. What he done for wretched me, he'll do for the one that used to be wretched in you. That's the confirmation. That's the glory and the consolation that we have in the cross of Calvary through the shed blood of his son Jesus. We can walk in that godly confidence in knowing him. Church folk would rather you walk in some false humility, acting like you really aren't sure. Like the guy on the street, well, you, you, there's probably got to be some doubt in you. Well, no, 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 no. 
Like the old thing says, I know too much to, uh, about him to ever really doubt him. Amen? I know because he's always been faithful. He don't do faithful. He is faithful. Faithful is who he is. It doesn't just describe what he does. It is the epitome of who Christ Jesus is. So John placed all this importance of making these issues crystal clear before us. And we, like I said, 23 weeks of trying to make it crystal clear. Because these are the things that would serve to undermine the plan of God and nullify our place as heirs together with Christ Jesus. I want to say this to you, folks. There's an expectation that's always associated with a transformation. I want to say that again. There's an expectation that is associated with a transformation. I don't know how many hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people every time, every every year that will tell me what I'm, I'm witnessing or preaching or whatever it may be on the streets or just out in the community. And they'll look at me in the eye and they'll say, listen, I'm saved. I'm saved. And so my question always is, what are you saved from? And I share with them about my four years living in Daytona Beach and preaching there and say, listen, you know, they got these guys sitting up on these lifeguard stands and, you know, out there in the, in the water. And unfortunately, they, they just swam out there to, to rescue me. I wasn't drowning, but I guess I stayed out too far too long and they thought they needed to come out. But, you know, there's people out there and these guys and guys and girls that sit up on these lifeguard stands and they see someone in trouble. You know what they do? They run out there, and, but they don't run out there and just pat them on the head and say, you're safe, and they swim back all by themselves. They climb up in the stand, and the person's still screaming. and say, well, you're saved. I went out there. You had contact with me. You had a, a little conversation with me just for a second, and you just leave them out there to drown. Folks, that's what people do. There's, there's got to be an expectation of a transformation, just like there's salvation that comes from a rescue. That he didn't die on the cross and raise from the, from the dead to leave me just as miserable and bound by sin and as wretched and as apart from him and unsure as I was before I got saved. He swam out there and he just didn't tell me, you know what, you got a little bit deep. He grabbed me by the nap of the neck and he drug me out and he breathed the breath of life into my life because he's the ultimate lifeguard. Right. Folks, so what's the expectation that's been associated with the transformation that Christ Jesus brought into your life? Amen. When you yielded yeah. yourself to him through faith. And so that transformation is evidenced by a regeneration. People say all the time, well, you know what? I can't do this or I can't do that. or I don't." Well, folks, before I got saved, I couldn't do anything. I really couldn't. I didn't have the ability to do anything. But once I read that word and I become empowered by the truth that says, I can do all things to Christ Jesus who gives me strength. And so when I know I, when I say I can't do it, you know what I know I'm walking in? I'm walking in the flesh. I'm walking in the power, the experience, the personality of Troy Bond, and I'm not working in the power and the presence and the character of Christ Jesus. Why? Because he is able to cause me to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything I could ever ask or think. Why? When I just yield myself to him and say, listen, Troy Bond is going to get out of the way. Man, I need Christ Jesus to come into my life and to be my glory, to be my, the lifter of my head, to be the empowerment for anything that he would call, call me to do. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. You know, folks, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says this. It says, among them, we too all formerly lived. Now, you remember where you formerly lived. You remember who you used to be, don't you? Sometimes you just have to remind yourself and say, listen, whoa, 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 I don't want to get too big for my bridge. i got to realize where he delivered me from. Why? Because where much is forgiven, much is loved. Among you we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. We indulged in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, underline that if you take notes, by nature we were not the children of God. We were the children of wrath, even as the rest of the people were. Listen, he said, we formerly lived, but not anymore. Folks, we talked about this, it, it, it really probably at length, about people saying we're all children of God. We're not. You know what? You're either a child of God, the word says, or you're a child of the devil. You know, he that does walks in righteousness is a child of God. He that doesn't is a child of the devil. Because why? Before coming to Christ Jesus, we were by our very nature. Children of wrath, children that were, were, were subject to judgment, people that were separated from him. 
And what I think has slipped into the church at large is we've got this kumbaya, ecumenical, all roads lead to Jesus type of mentality that I see it dripping out of, on the streets and dripping into people's hearts and lives. Even the, 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 the Pope came out this past week. I don't know if you saw that letter that he sent out. He said, you don't necessarily, he said, atheists do not even necessarily have to believe in God to get to heaven. As long as they follow their conscience. I have a dear friend that loves, she loves Jesus. And, you know, she, I know she does. She, she, she loves Jesus not because she's a Catholic. She loves Jesus in spite of being a Catholic. And I asked her the question that I said, where do you, sis, where do you draw the line? Does it ever come to a point where the heresy that is being spewed from the mouth of your leader, the one that calls himself the 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 the, 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 the potentate, the one that calls himself the, the vicar of Christ, the one that, that, that puts himself in that situation that, that says he came through he's the, the papal succession that came down from, from, from Peter, they say. I said, when does it ever come to the point where you draw the line and say, Listen, I cease to associate with that heresy, and I'm strictly going to associate with Jesus. When does it come to that point? And folks, we see those things that have manifested themselves that, 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 that by nature and all these things that come in, but we've seen those things slip into the church and the church doesn't really want to stand against it. Why? Because on a personal level, there's so many things we don't want to stand, stand against. But he said, behold what manner of love that he has bestowed upon us. If you take notes, that word bestowed, I love this word. Other translations you may be reading tonight, some say lavished, one says given, another says abounded. But the word literally means to extend as to make an offer to someone. It means to extend as to make an offer to someone. So behold what manner of love the Father has extended to make an offer to us that we could become the sons of God. Why is it important? Why? Because here's the thing about God's will. How many of you, how many of you think, and I may have asked this question in this class, how many of you think that God's will is always accomplished? But how many of you said this? Something come up, you said, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Anybody ever been guilty of saying that? You can raise your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, people say that all the time. But then I ask the other question, you believe God's will always happens. You, you won't raise your hand. But we've said, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. Folks, how many of you know that the Word says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? So is everybody going to go to heaven? He doesn't rejoice in the death of the wicked. He don't, he's not willing. He would that, that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. We know that. So God's will is not always done. Will we use that sometimes as just a scapegoat in a way to, to not be responsible to do the things he's told us to do? Well, God willing, the creek don't rise. You tell that to the folk in Colorado or New Mexico or in, in eastern Arizona. The creek's rising on them, amen? But you know what? God's still seated upon the throne of glory. He's not uh, scooting over for anybody. and He's not twiddling his thumbs thinking, oh boy, I wonder how that happened. He's still doing that. But it means to extend or to make an offer to someone. So God extended an offer to us that we could be called the sons of God. Now, I look across this room, and you know what? The offer was extended. Different times in our life, different circumstances, different situations. And undoubtedly, a, a big chunk of the people in here took him up and said, you know what? I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter of God. I want to, to answer that invitation just as you've reached out and you, you spoke to me. So we, we, we could be identified with the son Jesus and with that offering came two things. With that extension of, of offering that to become, two things happened. We gained an expectancy, and we gained an enablement. Folks, you know what? With that offer comes something to expect. Okay, you're going to become a son of God. What do you expect from that relationship? Let me ask you this question simply. Do you still have an expectancy in that relationship with God? Is it, is, is it still exciting to you to, to serve God? Is it still that thing that just burns inside of your heart? Are you, are, is God still speaking to you and, and giving you visions and giving you dreams and giving you hope and still just burning in your heart? Is it is nearer as your, near your salvation than when you first believed? Is it something like a, like a fire shut up in your bones? Folks, I've been served, uh, saved a long time. And I've got to believe that I've got more to be excited about today Knocking on the door of 50 years old. And when I got saved, knocking on the door 20 years old. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because I know him more. I've spent more time with him. I've been more intimate with him. I know what he expects out of me. And I know I can trust him in every situation. So do you have that expectation, that expectancy that builds that faith inside of you that just puts this confidence in your heart and your life? You know what? I, I, 
I, I know God so much to the degree that, man, I'm just, I'm an eternal optimist. Because I know even if everything in this world collapses, if something breaks out in the Middle East in trouble, you know what? A thousand may fall on one hand and 10,000 on the other. But you know what? That stuff ain't going to come near me. It could blow me to smithereens. And I tell you what, he'll gather up every fragment unto himself is what he said he would do. And so what do I fear? Do I fear those that can take my life? Or do I fear that one that can take my life and cast my soul into hell? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. And it says in the book of Acts, it says, Great fear came upon the people, a moral dread of being displeasing unto him. And I could care less who wins an election. I could care less who, uh, on city order. And all that, I, I could really care less about those things. Why? Because the word says the government shall be upon his shoulder until there be no end. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of my God. So I can have a confidence. You know what? I, I can walk around and I can put a little strut in my step. Why? Because I know who I believe in. I know who I belong to. I know that he's extended an invitation for me to be a son and a child of God. But also with that enablement. You know what? We're, we serve a can-do God, and so we ought to be can-do children of God. Don't you think so? Yes. Don't you, don't you think we need to eliminate that, you know what, I, I, I can't. Well, you know you can't. You never could. So what's new? But he can and he can empower me because he can enable me. And I have the expectation that when I obey him, that I'm going to have the strength to do anything he charges me to do. And so God demonstrated his love to us to the degree that he was willing to extend an invitation or an offer to people, you and I, that formerly were his enemies by our very nature. We were the Hatfields and heaven was the McCoys. We don't remember why we didn't like him. We just didn't like him. <laughs> Everything that we represented and did prior to our humbling ourselves and repenting and receiving salvation by faith was totally contrary and in conflict with everything that he represented. That was us, folks. That was us, bar none. The, from, from, the, from the most wicked to the sweetest person in here, bar none, that represented every single one of us. So he took us when we were strangers and when we were enemies, and he presented us with an opportunity that Paul described in Ephesians 3, 5, and 6. I love this. Ephesians 3, 5, and 6. In order that the mystery which had been withheld from previous generations, he said it's now being revealed by the apostles and the promise that the invitation to be the heirs of the promise of God has now been extended to the Gentiles in this age of grace. It had been a mystery. Man, why did they reject? Why did the Jews reject the Messiah? What happened? Well, it's a great mystery. Because what did that do? It opened up the door for the extension, for that hand that we talk about in Isaiah 59 and 1. God, we preach on the streets that it's not short. Why? It, 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 it wretched through men's lack of expectancy. It wretched through men's traditions. It wretched past men's failures. It wretched past the men's inability to fulfill the law. And his hand was not shortened that he could not, what? He could not reach off that lifeguard stand called the cross of Calvary reach and find us in that place of wickedness. And it says his ear is not deaf and that he could not hear. He couldn't, he, it wasn't that he couldn't hear our cries, but it was our sins and our iniquities that separated us from God. So what did he do with them? He allowed those sins and those iniquities that separated us from God to be laid upon him, the cup of God's wrath to be poured out upon God made flesh, to satisfy sin's death, in order to allow us to be adopted into the beloved, what did he do? He spilled that bloodline onto us that whoever plunged into that crimson flow, amen, would be adopted into that beloved. And now we would reign with Christ. Now, folks, people say, where'd you come from? You know, uh, Mercedes, we tease her. She's from Cuba, speaks Greek, tries to speak English. You know what? But that's her old bloodline. <laughs> you know, Gideon here, Gideon, Gideon's from, 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 from Ghana. You know, Bobby back there, she's from, from Poland. You know, we got people from, from, from different places everywhere else. But folks, once we're adopted into the beloved, you know where my roots go to? They don't, they don't go to my ancestors that were Native Americans or my ancestors that came from Jerry. They don't go to any of those. I, I'm tied directly into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All that other stuff is immaterial anymore. Now, who are my brothers and my sisters and my mother and father? Those that do the will of my father who is in heaven. Everything changes based upon that. 
We're now part of his family. We were not part of his family. Now we are. We did not share the benefits of his nature. Now we do. We were not reflective of him by nature. Now we can be. Isn't that good news? Doesn't the build an expectancy in your heart? But how could this be? Well, he said, he bestowed that love upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Folks, what does it mean to be called the sons of God? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. The word called is the word kaleo, K-A-L-E-O, if you want to write something down. And it implies to proclaim with a loud voice. To proclaim with a loud voice. Folks, this is exciting to me because it's the same word that was used in an event in Matthew 1.21. And when I read it to you, you'll know what I'm talking about. It says, she shall bring forth a son and shall kaleo his name, Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Folks, he called us the sons of God, just like he said that Jesus, that he, he would be called Jesus at his incarnation. It was that same heralding, the same excitement, the same proclamation of heaven that went forth when God came down and took on the form of sinful flesh and for sin, became that second Adam, that one that would take away the sins of the world. That same proclamation that happened 2,000 years ago in heaven when Jesus Christ came down is the same proclamation that happens. Folks, you wonder why there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven according to Matthew 18, 11 through 14. Why? Because that same proclamation when holy, holy, holy came down that one Maranatha came was the same proclamation that happens when our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, folks, that, that, that should do something for us. That should make us want to cause heaven to stand up and rejoice. And so for me, people say, you know what, man, that's, you know, talking about going to the streets and preaching the gospel. Why do you do that? Don't you have other things? Yes. But there's not a single other solitary thing that I could do, period. We could build great cathedrals and put bronze and gold crosses on them. We could give tons of food to hungry people. We could do all those things. But not a single one of those things does the Word of God say. We could come up here and we could put together a fantastic band and sing all these great songs and everyone be in harmony and all the musicians. Man, we'd enjoy that. But none of those things cause there to be rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven other than that calling out to become the sons Amen. and the daughters of God. So you may say to yourself, man, I wish I could sing like, like Kyle or, or play like Pastor Brandon or, or drum like Kayla or whatever else. You know what? You may not have those abilities, but everybody, amen, yes. everybody that's a child and a son of God can proclaim the good news to those that are in bondage. Amen. You may not get an audience clapping, but I tell you what, you can put heaven on the Come edge on. of the yes. seats amen. and keep them rejoicing, amen. amen. Why? Because you can put that call out to somebody else. Yes. His incarnation was the precursor to our transformation. He proclaims loudly that he's extended the invitation for us to be the sons and the daughters of the Most High. That's what he said. He proclaimed loudly. When he was born, Jesus came. And it says he's been given a name. He called it out. That's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, the calling out of Jesus, that every knee has got to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Think about that call out. And so when we call that out out of our lives through the evidence and through being that joint heir together with Christ, what's it do? It rings in heaven the exact same way. Gospel of John chapter 1, verses 10 and 13 says this. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. Well, it says the world doesn't know us either. That's right. Right? He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, as many, as many as answered that invitation to them, he gave the power to become the children of God. To those who would believe upon his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, but were born of God. Folks, this is not some quaint, quiet, personal, invisible thing that you never talk about. It's not. It's not something. You know, what was that song that came out and says, you know, what if somebody wants something on uh, Regis? What's that song? You know what I'm talking about? And buried all my money in a coffee can. Some of you come, people listen to the radio. You remember that song? What was it? Help me, sis. <laughs> somebody heard that song. You, you know what I'm talking about. I guess all us old people got better memories than the young people. Yeah. Huh? 
Something about that. He was something about what if I want what if I went on reach? It's a Christian song. It's kind of Stephen Chris Chapman song. Do I remember him? He's yeah. an old guy. You know, I'm sure you don't know him. Yeah. Amen. But it's just what if I win and I won a million dollars on who wants to be a millionaire? And I didn't tell anybody, but that's put in a coffee can. Folks. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another old person, amen. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? It's probably a lot older than what I think it is. But folks, here's the thing. Our relationship with Christ is not something we just fold our hands together and go tell anyone about. We don't bury our testimony in a coffee can. We don't just say, you know what? That's just a personal thing just between me and God. Folks, it ain't just between me and God. Period. You know what? I'm part of the body of Christ. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. It's not just my quaint little part of heaven, and I'm not looking for my place back on the back 40 somewhere. Amen? Amen. What he's done for me has an impact on everyone else that I'm touched and, and, and connected to. Your transformation should be the talk of the town. They said it again. Your transformation should be such that you're the talk of the town. Folks, I, I remember... Uh, you know, I, and I, I said that right here. If I could take, if I could get any years of my life back, it would be when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Those three years right there. The only three years that I look back with and I said, I just flat out blew it in my life because I was 15, 16, and 17 years old. Again, I wasn't out smoking pot, doing drugs, but I was wicked. You know why I was wicked? Because for those that know to do right and they don't, to them it is sin. Yeah. Period. I knew what I should have been doing. I knew what I should have been saying. I have friends that died during those three years that went straight to hell, and I didn't do anything about it. Didn't stand to warn them. I didn't do anything. You hear what I'm saying? If the right. wicked, you know, that's what Ezekiel says. I made you a watchman. What if you don't warn the wicked? So I could, I could get those years back and say, you know what? I need to do something. But here's what I do remember. I remember going back to my 10-year my high school reunion and people avoiding me like the plague. The same people that were buddying up to me, you know why they avoided me? Because I show up in a blazing Jesus shirt, and you know they're they're wanting to, to flash back to 1985 or something like that. I'm, and I'm talking about Christ, and man, they avoided me to such a degree. I'm like, man, nobody talks to me, so I just went on home. But ten years later, when I went back to my 20 year reunion, these people had kids struggling on drugs, these people whose marriages were falling apart. Hey, Troy, man, good to see you. You're a preacher now, aren't you? Man, I'd really like to talk to you about a few things. Man, I thought I was answering counseling calls at some church somewhere because you know why? I was the talk of the town then because they said, you know what? God did something in his life. Folks, your transformation needs to be the talk of the town. It needs to be so obvious, so apparent to those that used to know you. They look at your life and they say, there is no way. There is no way that that is Mick inside of that body. Some close encounter snatched him out and replaced him with somebody else. Why? Because there's not a single thing about you that represents who you used to be. Our transformation needs to be the talk of town. It's not your little place in the corner where, where people are, are just left to guess what you believe. Your little sweet little smile isn't going to save a person. You hear what I'm saying? Your little handing somebody a donut on the corner, or handing a dollar out, or a, or a 99 cent cheeseburger to, to a homeless person is not going to do it. You know what? The, the Red Cross does it all the time. People aren't getting saved. It's the old rugged cross that gets people saved. You know what I'm saying? It's not our good deeds. We're not saved by those things. The Word says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save those that will believe. Because if we could do it any other way, Christ Jesus would not have had to die upon the cross, and he would not have said, how can they believe on him if they've not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? Amen? Come on. He would have called us to go into the world and preach the gospel. And so also, this is our platform to boldly herald that the kingdom of God has come unto us. So folks, listen here. The invitation has been extended to those willing to repent and believe the gospel for him to herald our name before everybody that we're a child of God. That's why, the, the, that's why heaven rejoices. The word is out on us. It's, it's Facebook official, so to speak. Amen? You wonder sometimes, you know, it's... it's, it's it, when they open the books, is they're going to go to our Facebook account and check it out first, amen? Everyone's going to be judged according to those things they put on Facebook or Twitter or, or hashtag to somebody. Has our video gone viral? What is it that, that's happened that's, that's proved us out? But then he goes on to continue in 1 John 3, 1. Now I'm talking to the younger people. I use words like hashtag and stuff like that. Huh? <laughs> Lily Ortiz said amen back there. <laughs> He said in 1 John 3 and 1, he said, Therefore the world knows us not, because it did not know him. The, knows, know, the word know is from the word know, which means 
G-N-O, which means to be intimate or familiar. Right? That's where the root word is. But here's what's neat about this. That, it's a different rendering of that word, which implies this meaning. It's that they just can't figure you out. That's what it says. It says the world can't figure us out. Not intimate with us. It just says when the world looks at you, they're looking and thinking, shaking their head like, what happened to him? Has he lost his mind? There's just something so different about him. I can't put a finger on what on earth is going on with that person. It says the world just can't figure you out because it couldn't figure him out. Why didn't he just come and peace the king of kings and the Lord of lords, call down legions of angels, overthrow the, 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 the Roman captors, just, just make a day of it? Why would he come as, as, as a servant of all? Why would he allow himself to be impaled upon a cross? Why would he allow himself to be beaten beyond recognition, put in a borrowed tomb and rise again on the third? Why would he do that? They just can't figure him out. We hear it all the time, don't we, folks? Well, I, I just can't believe in a God I can't figure out. I can't, I can't believe in a God I can't see. I can't believe in a God that I can't put a finger on. Well, you can't because you don't know him. You've never spent the time with him. You didn't answer the invitation on his terms to know that call. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. It says says people who aren't spiritual can't receive those truths from God's spirit. It says it all sounds like foolishness to them and they can't even understand it. For those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. People tell you, listen, I, I can't even understand that Bible. I'm like, King James Bible is written on a fifth grade reading level. Have you ever thought about praying? The Bible says the Spirit will guide you with all truth. You know how long it takes me to translate uh, uh, thou to you? <laughs> it, it doesn't take me very long. I don't get hung up and say, thou, what does that mean? It didn't take me very long. I read charity in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not thinking a handout. And then it takes me about a split second to realize that's not about love. You see what I'm saying? But when you're not spiritually minded, what are you looking for? You're not looking for an opportunity. You're looking for an excuse. I can't understand it. Why? Because you're carnally minded is why you can't understand that. Don't think worldly minded people are ever going to understand you or what you stand for apart from the revelation of God. It's not going to happen. Don't think that your lost friend or your lost uh, relative or whoever it is, you guys that are single, don't think that you're going to marry some lost person and suddenly going to get a revelation. It's not going to happen. Because you're not going to have a lost girlfriend or a lost boyfriend for very long. You're going to have a miserable marriage. That's what's going to happen. So don't think that you can you can get somebody to figure out. It's not, it's not something that you're going to be able to convince them of otherwise. How do I know that? Because I've counseled hundreds of people over the years, and they found themselves in that exact same situation. Had a worldly-minded woman come up to me. She was raised in church the other night. Last night, as a matter of fact, it was. And I was talking to her about holiness and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what she said to me. This is a lady in her 30s who is pretty accomplished in regards to her education. She is a uh, actually a software developer. She sent, sells her software to, to major corporations. She's done very well for herself. She said she grew up in many churches because she was raised in a military family. And so they were, went from base to base, and so very ecumenical, kind of whatever was on the base is what they went through. So she thought she was pretty well-rounded. And when I began to talk to her about the expectation that God has for those that claim, claim to know him, she claimed to know him, she claimed to have a relationship with him. And I began to talk to her about living in holiness and righteousness and being apart from the world, that, that being a friend of the world is the enemy of God, that abstain even from the appearance of, of evil, and, and all these things that come from the Scripture. She looked me in the face. She said, what do you expect from me? Should I just go around sad all the time and never have any fun? <laughs> yes. And I looked at her like you're looking at me. I said, do I look sad? <laughs> she said, well, no. I said, so what are you getting at? I said, I've been serving God a long time. And I said, I couldn't tell you the last time I was sad. I said, I don't battle depression. I don't battle fear and doubt. And I don't battle those things you're talking about. I said, I get up every single day with expectancy. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty level all the time. And you know what? I don't come out here because I'm just looking for something to do at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Friday night. You know what? I, I don't, I, I'm having fun. I do this. I got plenty of other things that, that normal people might want to do, like sleep. <laughs> I said, but I look forward to this. I'm not sad. I'm not depressed. I enjoy this. 
this is fine to me. <laughs> she couldn't understand it. Because she didn't think you could be in an environment like that and have any fun without a $15 hand grenade hanging off your hand, guzzling alcohol all night long. Now, it's not because I bought one. It's because they always tell me that when I tell them you need to pour that out. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> $15. <laughs> <That's your soul. laughs> What we have and what we're now able to see and understand by way of our relationship with Christ is something that was lost in the fall of Adam and Eve through garden. See, we take it for granted, folks. We do. We take it for granted that we can call upon his name. Yes. We, we really do. He is so close. So he always, uh, he older people, again, there, there was a song years ago. I know Brian heard it because he heard me post it one day on Facebook. It was an old Larnell Harris song that said, I miss my time with you. Mm -hmm. He said, there I am just waiting in that old familiar place, an empty spot beside him where once he used to wait. And folks, he's that close. He's so close that all we have to do is stop and call upon his name. And I think we take it for granted sometimes. And we forget that that opportunity was lost in the garden. That God only, it says in sundry times, dropped his spirit on certain people and they had to go and find a prophet. But they had to go to a special place set aside for worship. Yeah. Folks, we don't have to come in and conjure anything up in the spirit. Right. We don't have to call, come and, you know, we use these words all the time. We, we just invite his presence like he's not here. Mm -hmm. Here's his presence. Here's his presence. You can't get away from it. Why? Because it's inside of us through the new birth. So what have we done? What we've done is we've stepped away from our revelation and we think he's some spooky person flying around here. And if a baby cries in church, then, then he's going to fly his poop and, and he's not going to be in our presence. So he's bigger than all that. He's here. He's now. He's just waiting for us to acknowledge him. But we regain that at the cross of Calvary on the day of Pentecost. Our comprehension and ability to see things from the God perspective was also forfeited. And out of reach, prior to that redemptive work and the extension of that invitation to be called the sons of God, it was also provided upon the cross of Calvary. When I talk about that God perspective, I'm talking about seeing things from his vantage point. When he tells us in the book of Ephesians, he says, you're seated with me in heavenly places. You know, Paul always messed me up when I was young in the Lord because I'd read stuff like, you know what? Uh, he'll cause all things to work together for the good of those that love him and call upon his purpose. You know, when you, don't, when you don't really know what he means by that, you're like, how are you going to make this work out? You have any idea what I'm going through? How is that going to possibly work out? Or, I count it all joy when I fall into all different types of temptation. <laughs> you do that? Oh, glory, man, I fell into temptation again. Hallelujah. The devil's just all over me. <laughs> you do that? <laughs> You know why we don't? Because we lost perspective on things. Well, Paul the Apostle, something happened to him. He's under my feet. You guys watching my family later, a cockroach about that big trying to attack me. But I am more than a cockroach. I have a confession. If that would have happened at the house, I'd be going crazy right now. But my faith is built up. I was telling you guys over here, they're not going to help me. They just going to point at it. Amen. And it didn't even bruise my heel. But folks, what we lost was the perspective to see things from where he was. You hear what I'm saying? And so the reason Paul could say stuff that was so out there to people was the fact that he said, I knew a man one time. He said, whether that man was in the spirit or in the flesh, he said, I couldn't tell you. He said, but he was caught up in the third heaven. And he saw things that it wasn't even lawful for me to repeat. I'm talking to himself as well. But you know what he got to see? He got to see the end from the beginning. 
And so when he fell into things, you know why he counted all joy? Because he knew he saw how it was going to turn out. Why he could why he could say that everything's going to work together? Why? Because he, he saw the very fact that he'd be shipwrecked, that he'd get stoned, that he'd go hungry, he'd get snake bit. Why? Because he got caught up into a place that was not limited by time and space. He got to see the other side. Why? Because, folks, once we pass from this place into the next, we pass out of the increments of time and we pass into eternity. Because when God sees everything, he sees everything right now. He's not waiting for something to happen. He's not tapping his watch thinking, man, you know what? We've got about 10 minutes in this Bible study left that I get to go get me a cheese. But he's not thinking in those terms. He's thinking, you know what? I know. And I've called out for you to step into my realm of seeing things so you can possess the promises that are associated with that perspective. And so when we operate from the God perspective that he's given us through that new birth and that sonship in Christ Jesus, what does it do? eliminates all those worries because what's the worst case scenario from that perspective i just get there a little sooner than i might have otherwise amen amen that's the perspective that we get what you'll find is that the perspective gained in conversion can and will be incrementally lost or become deficient when one ceases to operate under the responsibilities associated with that Remember when you got, first got saved? I mentioned this. You remember how you'd just do anything? If you really got saved. Man, you're crazy. I mean, you'd just dance and shout. You didn't care what anybody else thought. Because you knew how much God loved you because you felt it where much had been forgiven, much was loved. And, man, you didn't care. You'd worship and do whatever it is you want to do. And hallelujah. You'd tell people. And you, didn't, you didn't care if you called Job, Job, and Psalms, Psalms. You didn't care about anything. <laughs> Now you're the point you're afraid to quote scripture. You might get you might not be able to speak with the right vernacular or whatever else. Back in the day, you, you didn't care. Well, you right. par you paraphrase them to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Because once you got it close, how you was thrilled with it. Why? Because man, it was fresh, it was new, it was real. But you know what? When you don't keep your hand to the plow doing the things he's done, on, you will incrementally right. lose those things. That's why you see new believers come and they'll race pack past people who've been in the church for 50 years. Yeah. And the people in the church for 50 years, they'll stick their cane out and hook them around the neck and say, no, not so quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wretched, miserable like the girl that sat on the street. you got to be miserable right along with me. <laughs> I lost my perspective. You need to lose right. your perspective. But folks, we just can't do that. Consider again. And I've personally seen it happen in my lifetime. Matthew 121. Since you'll bring forth a son, she'll call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? Because Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. His call out was designed to put forth a calling in. He called out to call in. Do you hear me? The reason he called out, he heralded his name to call us into his beloved. So typically when a person is saved or, or born again, that call out becomes a very natural and deliberate call in to other people. And from that public declaration of faith and water baptism to testify to change life, those things become normal in our life. But have you noticed that the longer many Christians serve the Lord, the less normal it is for them to tell other people about the Lord? That's right. That's true. You know what's kind of like, and I haven't experienced this because my grandbaby's just a year old. But you know what? When people have that first grandbaby and the grandbaby's little, then everybody has to look at them. They start getting bigger, you don't even want to look at them. <laughs> That's funny, but isn't that true? Yeah, you get a new one? Boy, you're showing that little thing. Isn't that cute? Well, not really, but you think they're cute? I'll, I'll put up with it. I, I just praise God that our grandbaby was cute when she was born. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? When, it's, when they're new and they're fresh, it's like, oh, hallelujah, look at them. And that, isn't that so true about us? Was they get a little bit bigger, pat them on the head, go eat you a Twinkie, son, you know? <laughs> but it shouldn't be that way with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It ought to be nearer than when we first believed. If indeed he has bestowed upon us that ability and that call out to become the sons of God. The reason this is is because we're immediately injected into the same spiritual DNA that Jesus had. That's why we're so excited about it. So that which was a top priority to him naturally became a top priority for us. But then we get transfused by the cares of this world and all these things. And it begins to drop down. 
And so we're not just spiritually don't walk in just that super empowerment of his spiritual DNA. We begin to allow all these other things to take away our excitement, which was seeking and saving the lost, obeying God under any circumstance, keeping ourselves from temptation. But not unlike that prodigal son, what we want to do is we want to take advantage of the father without walking in the responsibility of the adoption. We want to be called the sons and daughters of God, but not walk in that responsibility of having that name. Yeah. Now, Kayla, I'll tell you right back here, many times, especially when she was getting into her teenage years, we'd be driving down the street, and I'd tell her, I said, Kayla, listen, I'm just going to tell you, whether this is fair or not, you've got a huge responsibility on your life. I said, because God has entrusted you with certain giftings and certain things in your life, and unfortunately, I'm your dad. Fortunately, I am, but unfortunately, I am. Because there's an expectation out of me as a preacher of the gospel, that same expectation is going to be upon your life. And you know what? I'm not going to cut you any corners. I'm not going to say people shouldn't treat you the same. I, I'm saying yes. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We uh, Oh, just you can't treat preacher's kids. Either. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Don't let many be teachers or readers among you put upon them as a greater judgment, a greater responsibility. And I'm telling you, when I answered the call, my whole family had to answer the call. Come on. That's right. You hear what I'm saying? So let me, right. if you're called to preach the gospel, don't think it's going to be any different. It's going to be reflective on everything. So I told that child right there, I said, Kayla, listen, people are going to be watching you. There's an expectation that comes upon your life. There's things that, that you've got to be, you've got to be, do certain things, or you've got to live a certain way. There's a criteria that people are going to hold you to. You may not think it's fair. Tough, get over it, live righteous. That's it. Yeah. Held her to that standard, did I not? All the time. Uh, you know, uh, many times I had to get, get right with her. Huh? You can't do that. Here's what you've got to do. You know, now she's telling me what to do at 22 years old. <laughs> she can do that. She's got a grandbaby. So but that was the standard that was put upon her life as a, as a child that we had that benefit of investing in. Then, 20 years later, a child that didn't grow up in our house comes into our life, and we adopt her. Many of y'all guys know the, the, the Kelsey's story and testimony. Uh, she's only been Kelsey Bond since October 30th of 2011. You know, she, she got stuck with somebody else's lineage before then. <laughs> on October, the uh, October 30th, 2011, she got adopted. And when Melly and I and Kayla and Joshua sit down with Kelsey in our living room, couple days after she came into her home, we told Kelsey, said, listen, we don't have a program. We have a family. We're not inviting you to be a part of our program because programs play out. Right. We're inviting you to be a part of our family. You're going to be adopted into our family. And so not long after that, she went Facebook official, changed her last name, and she's been Kelsey Bond ever since. <laughs> you know what? If I didn't tell people that, people wouldn't even know that. They would think that she was our daughter because she is our daughter. She's been adopted. But you know what we told her? There's a standard. You may have come into this late, but I tell you what, the standard is still the same. The expectation of a daughter is just the same. You're stuck with that name. You're stuck with those parents. You're stuck with that expectation. And with that expectation, there's going to come an ability to do it because the same spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in us, and it dwells inside of your life too. Amen. So whether you're that one that had the benefit of all these years of life, or whether you're one that's been adopted later, whether you're somebody that came to the Lord Jesus like one of these little old boys and this little old girl here, or you're somebody that came to Christ much later on in life, the standard and the responsibility of those things is all the same. You hear what I'm saying tonight? But when we abandon the responsibility, we negate the power of, of the adoption. That's what we talked about last week about abiding. Folks, listen, we've been given the power to become the sons of God. But when we abandon the responsibility of what it means to seek and to save the lost, to obey what God says, to keep ourselves from temptation, what we do is we negate the power of the adoption. Because just like that prodigal son, you can take those benefits and you can run off. And what the father said, my son, he was dead. In other words, he didn't have any life. He didn't have any power. And so whether it's one of my sons or whether it's one of my daughters, you know what? They start, they stop walking in accordance with that standard. What do they do? They free themselves. They eliminate, they cut themselves off from the power of that adoption. And folks, it's the same way in our life. We've got to hold fast. We've got to hold true to that ex expectation that God puts into our life through the spirit of adoption. First John 3, 1 John 3, I want to read this more time. I'll close out here in the next five minutes. He said, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? 
Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now, when? Now. Beloved, now, we're the sons of God. Folks, you're not waiting for it one day to get a set of wings or to get something patting you on. You're not waiting on that one day to get a crown on your head. He says, now, we're the sons of God. We're now seated with him in heavenly places. We're worshiping tonight. You know, something that the Lord was just speaking to me. Limited activity does not equal action, actual condition. In other words, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian, right? right? That's right. Extended a barn, you're never going to be a cow. You know what I'm saying? But just as a believer, you know what? How, how many of you guys ever struggle? Struggle sometimes, right? Yeah. Does that mean that you're not a believer? Doesn't mean that at all. How many of you have ever just been discouraged? Even? Does that mean that you're just a discouraged person? It doesn't mean that. So that's the flip side. Just a limited activity does not equal an actual condition. Right. And the reason I say that, too, is I mentioned earlier, but people say you're, you're, you're just an old sinner. Now, some of you guys have undoubtedly transgressed the righteousness of God. You sin. That'll make you a sinner. No more than being in a barn makes you a cow. Because we're changed according to our nature. And the reason I say that is Jesus said something. He said, I want you to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I've asked this question to many people, and so some of you guys are hip to this. But if I ask the question, how many of you are perfect? Then people have a hard time lifting up their hand. You know, people do. Why? Because of what we think that means. Now, if I said, how many of you are saved? People say, how many of you are born again? Born again. Now, when you're born again, what does that mean? How many imperfect people are in heaven? None. Right? Now, the reason I say that is when we come to Christ Jesus through that adoption of the beloved, we become perfect in purpose. That's what we become in. We become perfect in purpose from the standpoint of God has something perfect in line for us. He has set us somewhere. He has written our name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. He has set us in heavenly places with him. But we're also perfect in perspective. Why? Because now we have a new vantage point, and we're perfect in position. Why? Because it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. Even though at times I may be imperfect in practice. Let me just say that again. I may be perfect in position. I may be perfect in perspective. And I may be perfect in purpose. But that doesn't mean I'm always going to be perfect in practice. But just because I'm imperfect at times in practice does not make me imperfect. Do you follow me? Yeah. Because just because Kelsey or, or Kayla or Jared or Joshua or Ann would, would do something contrary to what I say doesn't say I'm just going to nullify who they are to me. You hear what I'm saying? Yep. Because if he's called out and adopted us into the beloved, there's an expectation. And with that expectation, what can happen? Well, my girls can come and say, Dad, you know what? And I'm sorry that I disappointed you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wrap my arms around them. I'm going to kill the fatted cat. I'm going to put shoes on their feet and a ring upon their finger. And I'm going to say, you know what? What you did was there was some deadness in that. But, man, you know what? I restore you because that's who you are to me. Your, your, your actions, those limited actions did not equal an actual condition. Why? Because I know who you are. I know what your desires are. And so when we come to that place, we've got to constantly be saying, you know what? There's an ex expectation that's in our life based upon who I am in Christ Jesus. And because I am a son, now I can go boldly to the throne of grace and mercy and get the help that I need when I need it. Amen. He goes on to say, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. And every man that has this hope, what does he do? He purifies himself. Even as he is pure. Folks, this is the will of God. We talked about it early on. Even our sanctification. God's desire is for us to walk holy. To be holy as he is holy. To be perfect as he is perfect. To have his purpose. To have his vantage point. And allow that, 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 that work of sanctification to constantly come into our life. To reveal those things that are contrary to who we are as sons and daughters of God. So we can say, you know what God? Man, I didn't even recognize that. From, from where I was before. But the closer I get to you, God, I see that those things that were okay in my life before, they're just not okay anymore. Those things that when I was immature in the faith, 
that, that for a while you tolerate God, but I don't want those things in my life any longer. You see, folks, that's what he's called out for, to bring us to that nearness, to that, that closest, to bring us to that, that maturity in him. And he's doing it. Why? Because he's given us the power to become the sons of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today.